2: Alright we are back with another diverse episode of Talking Metal My name is Mark Striegel, I'm so glad you're hanging with me We're gonna rock it today guys, Uh, really cool stuff happening and again it's very diverse stuff, Uh, we're gonna hit some classic rock, we're gonna hit some uh, contemporary rock, some contemporary metal and everything in between so stay tuned for three great interviews, Tony Franklin the outstanding bassist who's just has a mind-boggling career and is so good. We have a guy named Angus from Daredevil Squadron. A great, great band that you guys need to check out. And, of course, we also have Rob from non-point. So stay tuned for three great interviews on Talking Metal that are that are all brought to you by our patrons on Patreon. Guys, we are having a party on Patreon right now. I wish you'd join me. There's different tiers. You can give as little as two bu- bucks a month and get a bonus podcast every week. And the tiers go all the way up to 80 bucks a month. And believe me, we don't have anybody doing 80 bucks a month yet. But uh, if they do, man, it would be uh, fun because... Emily and I will take you guys out to dinner. We'll hang with you. It's uh, it's quite a package, but I suggest the uh, the actually the the tier one or two. The again tier one we call the Talking Metal Level One tier on Patreon. It's five bucks a month, and it gets you a Talking Metal T-shirt. And you just got to let me know your your size and your address, and I'll get those right out to you. And it also gives you access to our bonus podcast. And an exclusive look at the the videos, some of the videos we post. I'll give you a sneak peek of those. You get a first look at that before the general public gets a look at at my videos, stuff like this old rock shirt. And you also get access to the live stream, which is also about uh, about to happen. We haven't done any yet, but I'm about to start doing live streams. So that's uh, that's level talking metal level one five dollars a month. Talking metal level two gives you access to the live stream. Again, it gives you still a talking metal T-shirt. Gives you the bonus podcast, uh, an exclusive first look at featured videos, and the cool thing about level two is you get to help me program the music here on Talking Metal. You can request up to five songs a year. And this is all for ten bucks a month. All right, so yeah, sign up for level two and send me your your requests. Don't send them all at once because I'm not going to play them all at once. But you know, send them over the course of a year, and I'll trust you to to keep track of uh, how many you've sent in, and you know, get me those those five throughout the year. All right, cool, guys. So let's uh, let's do this. Let's uh, get ready for another episode and give a quick shout out to all the patrons on Patreon who are. Working it for us. I, I can't do this without you guys. You guys make it happen. Guys like, and girls like, Steven Saylor, Steve Hoker, Sean Morgan, San, Sam Soupy, Ron Keel, Ralph Petrie, Patrick Schwartz, Miles Atwood, David Gray, Mike Jones, Michael Street, Matt Carroll, Jean Bouvari, Joe, one, one name guy, Joe, Jean Francois Blyce. J B Allen, Jay Vaninsky, Jason Seth, James Bennett, Jerry from Long Island, Fred Roots, Emma from Australia. Hey Emma, Emma Clayton, Drake at Metal Dan, Anthony Mackie from the U K. Right, Anthony, love love talking music with Anthony. He's a great guy. Cool. So let's uh, let's do this right now. Hi, I'm Mark Striegel, host and producer of this show since 2005. On this episode we're going to talk some rock, some metal, and anything else we feel like. We're also going to jam some tunes, have a drink, and share some honest opinions. Thanks for listening to the Talking Metal Podcast. Let's get things started. Here's an old classic that sounds just as good today as it did when we were kids.
1: And I'm not your captive Turn me loose tonight
2: All right, we are rocking it here with The Firm. Some classic rock there, right? Radioactive, featuring Tony Franklin on the bass, Jimmy Page on guitar. What a lineup that was, man. What a great band The Firm was. Of course, he had Paul Rogers on vocals, and, of course, Chris Slade on the drums. We know Chris, probably a lot of us metal guys and hard rockers know Chris more from his work with ACDC. But he, uh, Chris Slade, man, he played with, with everybody from trying to think from like tom jones right yeah um all the way to david gilmore to acdc to asia man he has been all over and of course he was uh with acdc recently i think yeah he was on the tour that i saw at the garden with axel on vocals and the tour before that i saw giant stadium with brian johnson on vocals so he has been back in the ACDC fold as of as of late. Uh, I don't know if he'll be on the next record. It's sounding like he probably won't be, but we sh- soon, I guess, we'll find out because it does sound like ACDC is doing another album. So again, but anyways, he was a part of that band, The Firm, and that track you heard was radioactive. And without further ado, let's get into this interview with Tony Franklin. Of course, he is a big part of Carmine Apice's Guitar Zeus albums Which are just fantastic man So many great songs like this one This is called Dislocated And it features Tony Franklin on the bass Paul Gilbert's handling the guitar on this And we're going to follow this With my interview with Tony Franklin And then later in the episode We will hear from Angus Clark A great guitar player And Rob Rivera from Nonpoint Stay tuned Okay here we go guys A little dislocated off the Guitar Zeus album. It's Mark Striegel of the Talking Metal Podcast, and what an honor. For the first time ever, we have Tony Franklin, the extraordinary bassist who's done so much great stuff through the years. Tony, so great to speak with you.
3: You too, Mark. Thanks
2: for the opportunity. Oh, you bet. And, you know, I just uh, had my good buddy Carmine, a piece on the the Talking Metal Podcast recently, and we were talking all about this great record that you guys did, I guess, Correct me if I'm wrong, but back in the 90s. And I feel like it was kind of overlooked back then. And thankfully, you guys are reissuing it and re-releasing it. There's even some new music on it. It is Guitar Zeus. Let's talk a little bit about this record and how you and and Carmine put it it together back in the day. How did it first come about?
3: Well, it was uh, Carmine's brainchild. And it was to... Have this collection of great guitarists uh, come and play on a bunch of songs, and, and meaning that Carmine myself would be the rhythm section. Of course, we were still uh, in the Blue Murder vibe then, right? And yep. so we weren't part of Blue Murder. That uh, that had moved on. We moved on from that, but we still. I mean. Whenever we play together, it sounds like Blue Murder. So what am I saying? It doesn't matter if it was the first time or, or when we played together recently. It's, it always sounds like, like Blue Murder, and it sure. always was that way. So there's uh, it seemed like a great idea. It's like, yeah, let's do this. And Kelly Keeling, who actually – uh sang uh and worked with john sykes uh on the second blue murder album he was brought in to do some of the writing with carmine and play rhythm guitar and he's a great vocalist and so you know the two of them essentially set out to put together some some great songs and um and I, I was involved in the writing as well, and and it went very very quickly. That was a thing. It seemed like it was an easy process, at least at least from my uh, perspective. Everybody's ideas were flowing, and um, it's got a real special vibe to it. Yeah, it was gosh over 20 years ago now that we laid this did this stuff. And I'm really happy that it's going to have the opportunity to to come out and and be heard because we listen to the stuff now and it sounds pretty fresh, pretty timeless because, you know, I mean, you listen to that Blue Murder album. It sounds pretty fresh and timeless, if you ask me. And so you got a You got a similar vibe there. But then you have Slash, you have Ted Nugent, you have Paul Gilbert, you have a a whole plethora of games great guitarist, Brian Mayhem. I mean, it's like a who's who of guitarists on there. And so uh, you really do have a phenomenal album, which I'm going to say, I'm really happy. It's going to get to see the light again, hopefully.
2: Yeah. And you mentioned all these great guitar players, you know, Bruce Kulik, Jennifer Batten, uh, Brian May, Steve Morris, Richie Sambora. I mean, the list, Angve. the list goes on and on. And obviously, you're a great musician. You have great chops and style in the bass and Carmine, a fantastic drummer. But the one thing about this record is that I want to point out is the songwriting is phenomenal. I mean, like a song like Perfect Day, which features Warren Demartini. I mean, that should have been a rock radio anthem hit i mean it, there's so much great songwriting on this record and i wanted to ask you about the process of writing these these songs how did it work did you guys get in a room and write the songs and then say hey this would be good for warren Martini or you know uh dweezil zappa how did the how did the actual songwriting process go for this album
3: well i have to give a lot of credit to the human dynamo carmine uh, who is? It was his brainchild, and it was him that that got in a room with Kelly. Now Kelly is uh, a an endless spring of of ideas and creativity, and uh, and Carmine. Um, but he's he's got so much going on as in his mind as Kelly that it's sometimes he needs someone like Carmine to really kind of pull it all together, give it focus and get him disciplined and, and get him getting these ideas down. And so I I was involved in it. Um, I mean, I, I co-wrote, I think, three or four songs on it. And um, we all just threw ideas around. So there was a lot of uh, a lot of different ways that we were getting the creativity flowing. And so it was very, very open. And so it wasn't the case of, hey, I'm writing this. You go and write that. Uh, this is what it's going to be no it was very very conducive to uh, to to creativity and a lot of ideas flowing and uh even in the studio i mean we um we recorded the music box in in la which you know is um perfect location for us because we weren't so much on the clock we locked it out and then so we could play the stuff down and get it right. And then we all played it live, not with the, the name guitarist, but the basic bed tracks. So Carmine, myself, and Kelly uh, doing some uh, rhythm guitars and some guide vocals. And so all that stuff is is live, and so it has a real real magic to it. And I think Carmine's strength in, in songwriting is exactly in that, that environment where it was taking other People's creativity in this case, Kelly, who was just overflowing with it, and honing it in, and arranging it, and um, and putting it into a form, and they they did it together. I came in and did the same on on some of the tracks, and so yeah, it was a real um, great energy and a positive fun environment and i think that that comes across on the recordings it
2: absolutely does and again we're talking about the guitar zeus album guys definitely go pick this up i actually just uh ordered the vinyl it's out on vinyl too so you can get the cd the vinyl you can listen to it on all your streaming services and it is just a great great album featuring so many great players including Tony Franklin, who we're talking with right now, Tony, obviously the blue murder stuff that you and Carmine did with, with John Sykes legendary. And I think through history is almost grown like the, the uh, popularity of it. I mean, I I feel like there's a lot of people who discovered that stuff after the fact and still rave about it. Would you agree with that?
3: Uh, Yeah, I would. I would. And it's, um, it's interesting because It's it came and went so quickly, especially when you look back and had this big splash. And uh, and I mean, we didn't even go to Europe with it. We didn't go to South America. We toured uh, toured America and we did like three weeks in Japan and then we were done. And it was so it was all the musicians got it and they were like raving about this. But as it's gone on, I think that what has happened because there's great playing on it, and there's great songs on it. It's like the the new generation, the next generation is catching on to it and it's like, wow, this is really cool stuff. Because it was recorded in 89. It was recorded by Bob Rock and Mike Frazier who mixed it. You know, classic uh classic guys who are responsible for a lot of phenomenal music from Aerosmith to Metallica, a lot of cool stuff. And and um but it doesn't sound like it's well. It's often clumped into the hair metal '80s, you know. But it's if you listen to it, it's anything but that. To me, it's more. It's more along the the lines of uh, you know. John and myself are English, and uh, and Cummins played with a lot of the British players, of course, Jeff Beck and and all those guys, Ross Stewart, and so. You know, it has a little bit more of a, of a British. British blues kind of flavor like like Led zeppelin, yeah, but there's but it's a more of a shreddy kind of uh playing thing than than Led Zeppelin, I think you know heavier harder and um and so it's has that timeless quality and and the there's new generations that are discovering it, and it's like yeah, good music and i i I like to think that that the things I've been part of have been been good music that you know, it it comes around. It always stays, doesn't it? It's like the Beatles, Led Zeppelin, the greats. They stay around because they're they're doing quality stuff. And so generations will hopefully pick up on that as it goes along. And and I hope that that that, that happens with Blue Murder, because it is. It's phenomenal stuff. And so it was hard for me to be objective about it, to be honest, for many, many years, because you're so close to something you can't even tell. But now I can finally listen to it. It's like, oh, it's a pretty good album.
2: <laughs> yeah, absolutely, and and the timeless, like you said, and you know, it was, uh, it, for John, it was such a interesting time, you know, because he he had been on that that White Snake record, which the self titled, which just exploded, but in some ways, I felt like he was slighted because he wasn't in the music videos, he didn't do the tour and there was when the blue murder album hit for me it was like oh man he's he's really kind of uh reclaiming what is his you know and and do you remember what his my mind frame was at that time? Like, how did he react to the fact that the white snake album went on to be so big and he wasn't included in the touring and the, the music video, the fame, the fame that went along with it uh, was, did that play into the fire that he had with you guys at
3: all? Do you think? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it was not so much discussed or verbalized, but it, it was hard for him. And he just channeled that creativity, and all that energy and determination into into blue murder, so yeah, very much so, we were, always felt like we were on a mission, we had something to prove, but that 's how we are, That's how I am as as a player, and how John is, and Carmine too it's like we you know we, every time you get on stage we we don 't we 're not phoning it in we're just uh, really want to give it a, a roll and leave nothing nothing behind and so but you add the 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 reasons behind what you just said with the white snake album and how he didn't have the have the glory i mean financially he had the had the windfall from it so that certainly i'm sure would have helped but uh but right. at the same time you know he, he he yeah he he put a lot into that and um and it was tough for him, but uh, and then it was really tough, honestly, when Blue Murder didn't rise and shine to its to its full potential. That was a very, very difficult uh, experience for him, and uh, and I think in some ways that's been the reason why he's he's laid back so much, because if he's going to do something, he really wants it to be so undeniably killer that um you know he wants to go out there he still wants to prove himself believe me I, i know and we talk we talk regularly and we've been playing together as well and so uh he still has that fire and he still sounds as good as ever.
2: Cool. And I do want to circle back around on on that, um, You, what's going on with you and John right now. But before we do, just a little more of your history, because it's just, man, it's just mind boggling, all the stuff you've done. And of course, one of the, I guess, more high profile gigs that you had was when you were just a young lad getting in this amazing supergroup, The Firm, which was really the reemergence of Jimmy Page, who had kind of hit, like been laying low, I guess, in the first part of the 80s. And he reemerged with you and and Paul Rogers from Bad Company in The Firm. How did you end up at such a young age in in this like essentially super group?
3: yeah you know it's one of those situations at the time it, it happened so naturally and organically and it was very very relaxed uh it's only when i stand back and look at it now it's like holy moly that was jimmy page it was the first band he'd been in in led zeppelin and he is and he's a legend i mean he's more than a legend he's he's an iconic figure in music history he's he's larger than life He's He's written some of the greatest riffs and greatest songs in in music history. And but at the time, now I was 22 years old at the time, and so I, at that point I'd done quite a bit of work with uh, with Roy Harper. Now Roy, uh, many will know, some won't, but he was uh, on Led Zeppelin Three, There's a track called Hats Off to Harper.
2: Absolutely. And
3: yep. uh, yeah, and on Wish, um, Pink Floyd's Pink Floyd, Wish You Were yep. Yep. Here. There's. Uh, he sang Have a Cigar. And so um, a lot of people think that was Roger Waters, but no, it wasn't. It was Roy. And he opened up for Zeppelin. Uh, you can even spot little glimpses of him in The Song Remains the Same movie. So at that point, and that was just happenstances and happy connections that happened in the early 80s with me working with Roy, right place at the right time. And uh, so I did a bunch of albums and quite a bit of touring with him. I'm still in contact with Roy and um, dear friends. And he was a huge influence on me, a big part of my musical uh, broadening, shall we say, my the way that I understood and approached music, He is uh, hugely instrumental in that. And he and uh, Jimmy and Roy go way, way back. I mean, Jimmy had played on some of Roy's albums. There's a classic album called Stormcock. And it's just the two of them, uh, acoustic guitar, uh, two acoustic guitars and uh, Roy singing. And Roy is very, very lyrical. He'll call himself a poet before he calls himself a a singer. And so he... um, just beautiful, powerful music. That's an album worth checking out. That's a real gem. Stormcock by Roy okay. Harper. Now
2: is that and before Zeppelin? Is that before Paige was? Playing? No, it's During. During, it was during. Okay. Yeah, I gotta yeah, I don't know that album. I gotta find that.
3: Oh, yeah. It's classic stuff. And and Jimmy goes under a, a pseudonym. He calls himself uh, Flavius Mercurius. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Everybody knows this, Jimmy, but, you know, he didn't want to put it on. Like, he didn't want to draw attention to himself. He wanted it to be about Roy. And so anyway, Roy was he's the master of the alternative tunings. uh they shared a lot of stuff with uh with jimmy and and all that and so they go way back so anyway fast forward to 1984 and uh roy calls me to be involved in uh in his next album that he's doing and um and so i said yeah i'll be there and so well, it turns out that the jimmy's gonna be involved and so we ended up in the studio um it was a friend's friend of Roy's studio up in Blackpool, England, which is actually where I met John Sykes and Carmine and Cozy Powell and all these different people that were in this hub of this little seaside town in England called Blackpool. Wow. It's crazy all the stuff that's gone on there. But anyway, um, back to that. We were, we were just hanging in the studio, making music and having a grand old time. It was so much fun. Now. Here's to backtrack a little bit. I was not in awe of Led Zeppelin. I was not influenced by them in the slightest. And there are reasons for that. The main reason being that uh, when I was 14 or so, there's so much much stuff to tell, you know. (laughs) But um, uh, when I was 14 or so, I played in this pub, club, um, regularly with my parents' band um, twice a week. And on the jukebox, they had Zeppelin's rock and roll. And which you could buy as a single at the time. I loved rock and roll. And uh, on the B-side was Four Sticks, right. which hit my mind at 14 years old. I did not get it. I hated it. And I thought, wow, is this what Zeppelin's really like? I'm not into this. And thinking that, you know, rock and roll was just a one-off kind of, uh, you know, novelty kind of Right, right. Thing. And so... I didn't pursue it. You didn't hear Zeppelin on the radio. You still don't. None of my friends went to Zeppelin. So I fast forward to 1985, we're playing at Madison Square Garden with, with the firm. I'd still not heard Stairway to Heaven. It's crazy, isn't it? Really? When wow. I, I still hadn't heard it. And so anyway, I know I'm z- darting all over uh the timeline here more than the, the Queen movie. Um, but that's another story <laughs> Right, right <laughs> But uh, anyway It went well and we did that uh, with Roy and Jimmy and uh, we did A couple of gigs and everything flowed Great and Jimmy called Me after that and said would I be Interested in sitting in on the rehearsals Of his new Thing with Paul Rogers I Said yeah I'd love to It was. I wasn't asked to be in the band It was a case of just uh, you know Seeing how it all felt and Paul, uh check me out and hang together and because you know with a band it's as much as the playing it's the hang it's the it's how you vibe together absolutely and so uh you know it, it went well and we were so rehearsed at that point we went into the studio and um everything was pretty much first take because we were so dialed in i mean those rehearsals slash extended audition, slash writing and honing in all the songs to the album, lasted about six weeks. So we mm-hmm. were very dialed in, and everything just went very, very quickly in the uh, studio. And this so, was Chris Slade on drums with you guys at this point? Yeah, that was yeah. Chris Slade. Now, there's okay. a, I, I know we don't have too much time, but I've uh, got to tell a quick story about him. Yeah, go ahead, man. Um, He had... Uh, a call from David Gilmour in the morning and wow. Jimmy Page in the afternoon. Oh, my God. And, and, and David had asked him to do a solo tour. I think it was the About Face solo tour in 84. And uh, he said, yeah, I'll do that. And so uh, Jimmy called him later and said, oh, I have this new thing. Uh, would you like to be part of it? I said, well, I would love to be, but I've just committed to uh doing this tour with David Gilmore. So Jimmy turned around and said, No worries, we'll wait for you. Wow. So <laughs> he really, I guess that he and Chris had had worked together or or done even some sessions together back in the day, maybe on the Tom Jones stuff, because Chris Slade goes way back to all that early Tom Jones stuff. It's not unusual and all that.
2: Really? From that all the way to ACDC? That's incredible.
3: Yeah. Yeah. What a a, a, uh, broad selection of music he's played on and been part of. And so, you know, it just the timing was right by the time Chris was done. And and, uh, you know, Jimmy and myself have hung together with Roy. So the timing was right. So everything just felt so natural and so organic and very relaxed. And and that was the way that it always felt with the firm. And, uh yeah, it was beautiful in that regard, because I was not, as I say, because of my uh, not uh, being so much in awe of Led Zeppelin, I wasn't going in there thinking, "Oh, what would John Paul Jones do?" I didn't even know who the bass player was.
2: Right. right. So
3: I did my thing, and the only bass I took was the fretless, right on, uh, which I've been using with uh, with Roy and everything. And um, and there were no no comments about it. Uh, I just kept playing, and and then they asked me to be in the band. So it's it was. Yeah, amazing, really. And so that's how all that happened.
2: Wow. Wow. Amazing stuff. You have such an amazing history. And, uh, you know, we could go on talking about your history, I'm sure, for hours and hours. But let's let's focus on what's going on now. I know I was just on your Twitter feed. Really cool little video you had posted. Barry Sparks video, I guess it was. Is the song Hotwire? (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Yeah, what do you got? Like a GoPro clipped on the, the end of your base or something? How did that how
3: you guys yeah, do that? Yeah. yeah. Well you know, typically I'm not a fan of the GoPro uh, like stage videos where they got it clipped to the to the base and all that. But Barry has this thing where he does it and he gets into wild locations. He's on the beach, he's in the snow, he's as we were, on top of a mountain. And, uh, and so I played on this track of his and he said, would you be interested in doing the video? I said, yeah, let's do it. It'd be fun. So it, uh, he let me have a complete open palette on what I wanted to play on that. He just said, here's your space and go for it. And so I, I laid down my track and it was a lot of fun. And, uh, and that's that, you know, I'm I'm, in, I'm involved in so many different little things uh, like that i mean um there's that i just got done playing on a on a blues cruise with this guitarist out of texas called monty montgomery a lot of play, pe- people won't know of him but he's like this um acoustic uh wizard on the on on, on, the, on the guitar but he electrifies it and uses all effects but he's he's and a phenomenal writer and, and songwriter so uh I just I just came back from that. That was uh, I guess you could call that a paid vacation in the Caribbean, right, which, right. which is kind of nice. And then um, then I have a rock and roll fantasy camp uh, coming up. I'm involved cool. regularly with that, which is going to be Alice in Chains and Stone Temple Pilots guys. And, oh, uh, nice. That's fun. And then. Um, Gosh, there's a thing that's going to be happening in the summer, which I can't tell about, uh, just yet. It's going to be for about a month. I might be able to, but I don't want to jump the gun. Okay. So, uh, but, okay. uh, that's, that's going to be fun. And then John Sykes and myself have been jamming together again. And so, uh, that's uh that's starting to build some momentum i know a lot of people have been seeing things about john's got a new album ready yeah to come out and all that and so
2: so what's going on are you are you playing on the new album are you just playing live with him what, what are you and john up to
3: yeah i played on a couple of songs on the on the album which was done gosh maybe maybe four years ago then he had some upheavals and and stuff so it all got delayed and and everything and then um uh, but then John and myself, we've always been in touch. And so uh yeah, we've we started playing again regularly and we're with uh, with a drummer called Fred Boswell Jr. Carmine and myself and, and John got together a few times over the years and we were very, very close to doing Boom Murder, but then the timing, the schedules and everything just didn't work out. And so uh, you know, now now John wants to he wants to do more than just Blue Murder stuff. He wants to do, uh, I mean, Whitesnake. I mean, you know, no, very few people hear him play the songs that he played on and wrote with Whitesnake. Right. So, you yeah, know, hearing him play Still of the Night is like, uh, oh, one guitar and oh, bass and drums, just the three of us. It's massive. Yeah. And so, you know, he wants to do uh, White Snake. He wants to do some of his Thin Lizzy stuff. Sure. Blue Murder. And some new stuff, and so you know, it's um, that just requires a whole new thing, not calling it Blue Murder. So yeah, the the signs were let's let's figure out a way to do this, and so we're getting pretty close. Okay, um, we, we just got to figure out, you know, how to get out there, because John and myself, we don't want to do, we don't want to scratch around the clubs and and do all that thing. You know, it's like we've we've come too far to do that so we want to get out there in the right way and I mean, we can we can always go to japan they would welcome us and then
2: festivals and they, man would yeah, be great festivals
3: yeah. in, in europe Yeah. so you know we're just figuring figuring that out now and then we're just raring to go so it's it's very exciting and and john and myself have a have a magical chemistry and so just very, we're very excited i mean it's uh you should see the text messages and the phone calls We're like two kids all excited to play again. And
2: cool. I'm excited knowing you guys are making, making the magic again. That's awesome. Yeah.
3: Yeah. And it's, and and we still feel that we both have something to prove. I mean, you know, blue murder didn't reach its full potential. I think the firm it's, it certainly did, but it's, it's one of those things that people ask me, why did the firm break up? I said, well, the firm didn't break up. It just uh didn't start up again. So it's it's to me, that was another band that that could have a lease of life. I'm not trying to make any hints by saying that because I don't think it's gonna happen, but but you never know because uh that the firm now could be amazing because uh you still got all the original members. We could now do some of the catalog stuff that we didn't do before. Jimmy right. and Paul deliberately stayed away from Zeppelin from Bad and Free because they wanted the firm to be an entity in its own right. But now you could now enough time you could you could do some Zeppelin stuff, and uh, I'm sure Paul would kill on that stuff.
2: Yeah, yeah, that
4: you would know,
3: be, that would know, be
2: incredible um, from a, a fan perspective. You know, I would love that. That would be insane.
3: Yeah, more well, exactly. Yeah. I, I feel the same way. So it's, uh, you never know, but, but as far as John and myself, yeah, we still feel like we have a lot to say and, uh, God, it's so we come away from plan and we are absolutely emotionally exhausted and spent. And it's, it's a great feeling. You feel like you've been transported to another place right. and, uh, you put so much into it, you leave nothing. And so it's, uh, it's very exciting. We just got to get it from here to there, but we're we're getting there.
2: Well, best of luck with that, Tony. And where, where's the best place people can get in touch with you online?
3: Well, I'm all, all over the place, uh, on social media, on Instagram and, um, Facebook and Twitter, all under fretless monster and YouTube as well. I'm, I'm regularly posting and involved in all of them. And I do it all myself at this point. I'm, I'm able to manage it. So, uh, when anything you see up there is, de- is definitely coming from me you and I, yeah. yeah, I respond and everything. And this, my website as well, dot com. but everything I tend to do more on the, on the social media platforms because it's, it's immediate and um, you know, people, people get it. So come on, say hello.
2: Absolutely. And Tony, I, right now, I just want to say that, maybe in a few months down the road, if you're, if you're into it, I'd love to have you back. You know, we did like 25, 30 minutes, actually 30 minutes today, but I'd love to have you back for like a full hour where we can just delve into all that history because there's so much of it we didn't even touch. And I feel like we only scratched the surface. So if you're interested, I'd love to have you back maybe in a couple months and we can do a more extensive interview.
3: I'd be, I'd love to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for the opportunity. Well, I got
2: your email, and you will be hearing from me in the future. And in the meantime, we want to encourage everyone to look out for the uh, the stuff you're going to be doing with John Sykes, and also to go check out Guitar Zeus, which was just such a great record, you know, with so many great guitar players. Uh, oh, Paul yeah. Gilbert, and... Doug Aldridge, uh, Doug Pinnock's on there, right? I mean, Slash, yeah. Brian May. Wow. Amazing. And
3: Zach Wilde, too. Yeah. So, yeah, you've got a real... Who's who uh, on there, and um, and 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 also, uh, we're just going for it on there. I mean, it's the the good songs, but you know, they're doing no holds barred. It was like uh, we just really let loose and we were just jamming and playing. It's pretty, it's pretty wild. I'm 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 proud of the album, and I say I'm really happy that it's gonna get some more more airplay and, and visibility for sure
2: yeah absolutely it will definitely and again thank you so much for your time and let's keep in touch and talk soon cool mark thank you okay have a great afternoon
3: same to you thanks Bye. mark Okay. Hey.
2: Some blue murder here on Talking Metal, featuring Carmine Appice and of course Tony Franklin, John Sykes on the guitar on that one, right? Yes, yeah, so good. Blue murder, love blue murder, and let's uh, let's get into an interview I conducted at my home with Angus Clark. And you might not know him, but I encourage you to uh, to listen because it is an interesting interview, and he says some some cool shit plays us some cool shit so stay tuned for uh, for this interview with Angus Clark of Maplewood, New Jersey, a great guitar player. And right now, let's hit some music by Lance King. This is Limitless. King here on Talking Metal, go buy that Limitless on iTunes, the song Limitless, great, off the Reprogram record. Lance is a friend of the show and is always given us such great music. Big shout out to Steven for introducing me to Lance and his music, so love Lance. Cool, so let's do this. This is a, a little conversation I had with Angus Clark of Daredevil Squadron. I have a fellow... Maplewoodian on the couch with me his name is Angus Clark and we met the a couple of weeks back at the Marty Friedman show. Angus, how are you?
0: Fantastic, how are you, Mark?
2: Good, good. And and you know, I've lived in Maplewood about almost 12 years now and I'm I'm still meeting new interesting people in the music business like yourself. How long have you been in Maplewood? Just 4 years now. 4 years. Okay, cool. And we're at the, the Marty Friedman show. And I think you came up to me and said, said, hello. Did you, you said you recognized me from the train or.
0: Yeah, I think I had, I'd, uh, gotten hip to your podcast and then, uh, probably saw you on Instagram or something. So I right. knew what you looked like. And then I kept thinking, oh, I think that that's that guy right, with talking metal yeah, and yeah. At, at the train or right. at the coffee shop or something yeah. like that. And then we were at the, at that Marty Friedman show. And I yeah. said, yeah, that that's him. <laughs>
2: cool. cool, right, right on. And you were telling me a little bit about your history because you have a, a really great musical history. You're a guitar player, and I guess would would I say most known for the Trans Siberian Orchestra stuff?
0: Yes, that yeah. is my highest profile and longest gig with which I have the longest tenure, which right. I'm going on 19 years.
2: Wow, wow. Okay, so you must be. Are you one of the longest running alumni?
0: you know, next to on the, the sabotage guys. Yeah. Okay. Would be me and Jane Mangini. Right. And, um, me on Kim, uh, keyboard player in the, in the East coast band, the, these folks have all been around for 19 or 20 years. Wow. Wow. And when it started, could you have
2: imagined that here 19 years later, it would be as
0: big as it currently is, which is seems to me like it's huge. I mean, yeah. It's uh it's we're we're all very fortunate. Yeah. Very, very lucky that it went the way that it did. And uh, you know, Paul O'Neill, who's not with us anymore, was just right. had such a great vision and did everything he could to keep to it. And that's right on why it worked.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And plans for the 20th year already? Are you guys already in pre-planning for that or don't you yeah yet.
0: they're always uh i you know i don't get uh looped into we don't see the stage until we right. show up for rehearsals and oh, wow. we can't even really take pictures of it no, where are
2: rehearsals like where does that happen omaha nebraska oh wow okay cool cool so this year who who is on i'm trying to joe hoekstra is on it this
0: year right so the east coast band is joel hoekstra and and chris caffrey and right. uh, the west coast band is al petrelli and me Right on. Right on. Cool.
2: So that let's, let's go back even before that to a little bit of your history in the early nineties, you were playing progressive metal. Can you just fill us in a little bit on what was going on with you back in those times?
0: Yeah. Um, so I, I, I was just a, I think, well, let's take an example, like me and Blas Elias from slaughter right are are exactly the same age okay okay so blas started with slaughter who were kind of at the tail end of this you know that genre being at the top of the charts right and and he you know he uh i think he you know he got into it very young right i finished college and i got done with college and moved back to new york and at that we're going on 90 91 right now okay. and it was really starting to dry where did you go to college usc okay um and So I was in LA. Yeah. You know, while like I I was I would go see Racer X. Yeah. yeah, And like, you know, Paul Gilbert and all this like shred guitar and all this stuff. But um I I wasn't really out there as a professional until I got back to New York. And then, you know, New York was a very different scene. Like everybody was signing kind of uh just you know, black leather tattooed uh, spread yeah. Eagle and these kinds right, of bands right, were yeah. happening and stuff like that. So, uh, but I found these guys with this band called naked sun and they were doing great. They were killing at the limelight like yeah. every Sunday and right. they had gotten a deal and put one record out on noise right. where they were label mates with Halloween. Right. Sure. You know, so I was like, all right, there's still guys doing some metal. Right. Right. I'm going to do it. I'm going to yeah, get yeah. in there, you know? And I, I got in there and the, and, uh, I auditioned, I got the gig, so, I'm already like kind of not a band guy. I'm already like a pro guy right. who's auditioning and getting gigs for bands that already have labels, okay. as opposed to a guy that, you know, hooked up with his four buddies and made a band and, right. you know, stuff. Right. So, I'm already this kind of. New and, and, creature. And
2: just to back up a little bit, like how did that happen? Were, were you studying music out in LA? Were like what
0: Yeah, I was in yeah. the guitar program at USC, yeah. which is very like studio driven. Right. It was all about playing the guitar on TV shows and stuff right. like okay. that. So I knew I knew how to read and, yeah. and I, I can play a variety of styles and all that right. kind of stuff. But all I want to do is like me and the rock guys right. at USC would sit around yeah. and work on Yngwie licks and right, stuff right, like right. that. Sure. But I'm really like a Tony Iommi, David Gilmore, yeah. very blues based hard rock. Like that was my stuff growing up was, right. was, you know, teenage angst and, right. you know, kind of disenchantment all the way and Hendrix and right, just yeah. like real rock stuff. So, well, I got back and these guys' naked son were, you know, long haired and there was lots of image going on and, and, you know, they wanted the psychedelic stuff. They wanted some you know, really hard rock stuff and things like that. And, um, I think like Jordan Rudis auditioned for us at some point, wow, okay. you know, he's yeah, in dream theater, theater right? Yeah. Now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, wow. so, um, and they, he didn't, he didn't make the audition. I, I think he had other things. <laughs> okay. Um, but we, you know, their first single got, you know, 5Ks in Kerrang! magazine, right. and they were getting good notices, and they did a press tour, and, and then by the time I joined, we went down to the label office to, uh, you know, kind of see about, I don't know, some promo shots or something like that, Right? And it was empty. Wow. So, like, no the noise... USA office had right. just run out of cash. Who else was on noise? Down.
2: Like there was, some, I mean, I know that name. <sighs> well, Halloween yeah. and yeah. I, I don't know who yeah.
0: else, you know, and it was uh, distributed by BMG. Right. Which was at that point, you know, part of RCA, the record cemetery of America. Everybody used to joke. Right. You know, right? like right. distribution problems. But, yeah, yeah. You know, anyway, the writing was on the wall, but I stuck it out with those guys for a solid two years trying mm-hmm. to get another deal. And it was yeah. in that process that I got seen by, um, uh, uh a woman who works who worked for Kitaro who's a new age artist. Okay. I know that name. Yeah. So this is where my my history doesn't belong on talking metal, right? Because right. no, it's I'm not, sorry. but it's fine. Yeah. So uh Kitaro's a new age artist, but he wanted it to sound like Pink Floyd. Okay. He, and I said you're going to pay me to do that? That's yeah. awesome. Cuz yeah. cuz I looked like David Gilmour and I was right. playing a strat and all right. that stuff. So I I um I I Got that gig, and you know, next thing I know, I'm I'm in you know Japan playing wow. you know Himeji Castle like in front of one of these great castles, yeah. and, you know, and huge Pink Floyd light show and wow. you know, mirror yeah. ball, and you know it's really yeah. big stuff, and just playing Gilmore licks on a yeah. strat, and having a great time, yeah, and um and so that was a great thing to hold me over through an era in if we're talking like ninety four to ninety nine now, right? Where like you know a trained guitar player didn't have much space in the in the rock scene that was right. really you know Where there was any money to be made. Yeah. You know, things
2: started coming back around in the early, late 90s, really. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
0: Exactly. So, so by 98, 99, the Kataro stuff had kind of dried up because New Age saw a heyday with Yanni and John Tesh and all this stuff. Right. right, right. And uh, so I was back in New York and, um, But so while I was with Kitaro, uh, he, he had been the producer on Marty Friedman's, um, scenes album, which was the, I think it's the first record Marty made as a solo artist after he joined Megadeth. Mm -hmm. And so he had a bigger budget and he was like, I want to work with Kitaro. I'm like a huge fan of his music. Wow. Everybody was just kind of, Oh, okay. Yeah. You know, so he would come to the Kitaro shows and and I would meet him and I met him backstage at at uh, universal amphitheater and we had met only once before briefly and kind of reconnected. Right. And then I would go, if we so were this ever is
2: decades ago, this is nineties. Uh, yeah. This late. is 97, yeah, I mean, yeah. something
0: like that. And okay. so I'd, I'd be, I'd go see him if the, you know, Katara tour was in Phoenix, I'd go see him and stuff like that. Right. You know, I did one other tour with like a baby band that was on A&M called drill. Okay. Uh, and the, the Lead singer of that band is now in KMFDM, I think. Okay, right, Lucia. Oh, okay. And um, and and our bass player was JD. Oh, from, from Black, Black Label. Bla- yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Wow. It's ironic of me to say our bass player. I right. I was the hired guy for like yeah. six months. It was JD was in the right. band. You know? Right. 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 Um. So I that was. Uh, and I still love working with JD. He's an awesome guy. And um. So. So then uh come around to 2001 TSO were looking to hire new players for the West Coast band right because they had done a West Coast tour in 2000 and they they wanted to replace just about everybody and they <clears throat> they weren't telling anybody this but Al Pacarelli was coming back cuz he was okay. going to leave Megadeth to come back all right but i guess at that at the time they put the calls out they didn't know Al was coming back so they right. called Marty cuz they're like well you know al replaced marty and megadeth why don't we have marty replace al and then Oh, okay. TSO. So
2: they asked Marty to do it. Yeah. 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 but he was already living in Japan at that point. Right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah.
0: yeah. So he gave them my number. Right. Wow. Cool. And then that's how I, and I went down to audition and got the gig. Wow. That's awesome. That's awesome. So then, so then I, you know, kind of with the flexibility that having a great gig, like the TSO involves, you know, and the people that I've met, I've, you know, I've played guest solos on, I played guest solo on a metal church record and right. I did something on the latest DD Verney record. Um, he's a great guy. Right. The overkill guy. Yeah. I, I yeah. love overkill. Yeah. I mean, come on. Yeah. Also it's- Jersey based. Where'd you grow up? Did you, I grew up in Manhattan, Manhattan. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, and I was in Brooklyn for a good 15 years before moving here to Maplewood. Wow. Awesome.
2: and, even to go back further, were you playing in bands like when you were in high school in Manhattan and in Brooklyn? And yeah stuff? yeah.
0: Well, I went to Bronx Science okay and uh, and I had a band in in high school and then you know metal I'm,
2: band or like yeah it was, it's, it's it's interesting I've had this discussion with a lot of people Manhattan specifically always to me, Felt like it didn't have the metal scene that that the the other boroughs may have had, and even Jersey and Long Island. It always seemed like it was a little stronger in 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 those areas than in Manhattan, where I, I always felt like in the eighties when I started coming to going to New York City, uh, late eighties, I guess metal wasn't cool in in a lot of those downtown clubs. You you're, know, you're
0: so it's hard to describe like you know like how insular growing up in New York like the scene, like I went to the same grammar school as Ben Stiller. Right. So he's like two, three years ahead of me. Yeah. Now, you know, Ben Stiller has like infatuations with like Star Trek and like the monsters and stuff like that's what was on TV. Like, like I could watch Star Trek like three times a day growing up and only the original series. Yeah. Next generation means nothing to me. Right on. Okay. So yeah, Manhattan had some weird stuff. And one of those things was that it you know, kind of metal was not that big a thing. Like punk became a thing. And right. like when I was in high school, ska was a thing. Yeah. yeah. But for me, man, you know, I don't know. You make, you start making that taste in like, you know, fifth and sixth grade. And like, I heard Sabbath on the radio and right. I knew I wanted to be a part of that. And I heard yeah. Hendrix. And I knew I wanted to be a part of that. The only records my folks had were like Beatles and Stones records. Right. And that's great learning Ground, oh yeah, you know. But when I got to Bronx Science, there were kids. You know, part of it being a magnet school is there are kids from all over. So I remember there was a guy with a Black Sabbath Volume Four jacket, right? And I was just like, "What is that?" He's like, "Dude, it's the best record ever." Yeah, and that was it. I got Volume Four, and I was like, "This is the best record ever." How come nobody told me? Right. And so my first band was the drummer. Still, a friend of mine went to science, uh, was in Queens, you know. Yeah. And so, like, I would truck all the way out to Queens to rehearse in Billy Nanus's garage.
2: Right. Wow. <laughs> wow. Great stuff.
0: Now we mentioned Joel
2: Hoekstra earlier and there's the connection there in TSO, but you also mentioned that you're going to be taken over for him. Tell us, it sounds like a high profile
0: game to me. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm only subbing three shows. Oh, three at, shows. Uh, okay. But, uh, so, uh, for share because Joel's, right. awesome. Joel's been playing for share, American icon, right? there, <laughs> A Cher. single yeah. name celebrity. Yeah. yeah. I am it's thrilled. Awesome. Yeah. I'm so thrilled. Yeah. And, and Joel's, amazing and has uh i met him briefly through we have a mutual acquaintance who also sang for the tso at some point and i met him briefly um i can't i couldn't even tell you what year it is but at at some point right after rock of ages launched um on broadway i just had my daughter and my wife was like you need an in-town gig yeah and so (laughs) so, um so I was working at a studio at the time where the guys um were friends of Constantine Maroulis's and okay. I I said can you hand my name across to the guitar players and it turns out that Joel remembered me. He was ah, like, okay. "Oh yeah, man, we right. met this, yeah. you know, and 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 you were cool, you know, you know, come on down." And I actually subbed for the first year I only subbed for the guitar 2 chair which is Okay. Tommy Cassler who plays right. for Blondie. Okay. And then I started subbing for Joel as well. So right. subbing both both chairs on that And somewhere in the middle there, like about my second or third year subbing there. Um, in my second year of subbing on that was when Skolnick had made the noise that he was going to leave the TSO. Right. Okay. And, um, and you know, and so then uh, Joel was like the obvious pick at that, right. at that point, you know? Wow. So, so
2: did you help get Joel into TSO? I don't think he needed
0: yeah. my help, Right. but I might've, I might've, you know, Mentioned his name, but I'm sure I wasn't the first one to do it. Yeah, yeah, right on, right
2: on, cool, and.
0: Let's talk about Daredevil Squadron. This is uh, a band, a project. Daredevil Squadron's a band. Uh, we've made one record many, many moons ago now called Out of the Sun, and it's just meant to be very uh, new wave of British heavy metal inspired. Oh, awesome. Two guitars. So there's some maiden influence. There's some uh, Thin Lizzy uh, influence. There's some um, some Sabbath kind of stuff in there and um wow it it, it, sounds like it's right up my alley (laughs) um the newer stuff is is uh sounds better than than the first record and we've only released i think three singles right of this record we have in the can and we're just uh, you know we promoted one of the one of we made a video and we got we put it through a video promo service and we tried working it to had had uh you know a really great guy, work it to radio, but, um, you know, we don't have that much opportunity to play live. So right. we haven't really been able to build on it. Uh, but, uh, as I'm really proud of the work that we do together.
2: Cool. Well, let's right now, if you don't mind, I want to check out a, a track off of this. What can we play for the talking metal listeners
0: for the talking metal listeners? I think, um, Forgotten Sun. Okay, this cool. This is a great one. Let's do it. This is Forgotten
2: Sun by Daredevil Squadron, and the album is Out of the Sun here on Talking Metal.
5: child waiting there everything is fine right now you can feel the wind at your back you go Go! how did you escape the attack oh you think you got away oh we see another day you think you're done then we come diving out of the sun Yeah out of the sun.
2: Squadron here on Talking Metal, and we are hanging with Angus Clark from Daredevil Squadron and from Maplewood, and we are here in Maplewood at my house. And uh, yeah, man. So you got you got the share gigs coming up. I'm sure TSO is going to hit again. What else is going on with you musically right now? Are you doing anything more with uh,
0: Daredevil Squadron? We don't have anything on the books. You know, everybody's very busy. There's there's two things that I've, I'm doing right now. Um, number. The right now I'm prepping for the share shows, and okay. then uh, uh, about a couple weeks after that I'll be doing. Some more shows with this, um, singer, Mark Martel. He's a Canadian name. Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He got written up in the New York times recently. Right. So he's a, he, uh, it's a queen tribute concert. Wow. He, um, and, uh, it's called the ultimate queen celebration. And I, uh, sub, I'm trying to, I, I thought I just heard that. Oh, are you, are you playing the PAC center in, uh, in Newark? I, if we are, I'm not playing okay, that show, okay, but we yeah. did. I did play that show, Prudential Hall at NJ Pack, right, uh, right, right? Like last year. Okay, I did okay. play maybe that that's show with I'm them. Of, yeah, that was maybe the first show I did, right, with the group. And, um, so that's a it's just a great, I mean, it's a tribute show, but it's it's great material. It's yeah. Queen, and, um, all the guitar players that do it are great. Uh, uh Tristan Avakian, who did one TSO tour. Aurelian and Bootyneck, who's the other guitar player in Daredevil Squadron, does it, and and I do it. But Mark is just phenomenal; he does a great show. And it's a, oh, and the drummer on the Queen show is Jason. Oh, cool! From from Daredevil, and then, um, and then, but by and large, the rest of my year, uh, I have my own business where we uh, use songwriting as a team building activity for corporate clients. So oh, cool! It's uh, you know I'm kind of in the almost in the motivational speaker. Right. Bracket, but it's it's more interactive. I don't yeah. do too much biography. We just get in there and we facilitate getting people to work together in teams, and we give them a process where they can write a song. N- no musical experience required. Right. You, and, you
2: should you should talk to uh, uh, my wife because she works for. Johnson and Johnson. She just got back from one of these team building events. And, oh, we've, yeah. we've
0: done, uh, we've, yeah. we've, we did Johnson and Johnson at Avatar studios. We oh, had wow. a whole team in there, write And perform their own songs. Yeah. Wow. That's great. That's great. I love it when everybody decides to do a metal song, but, yeah. uh, not, you know, not always we, happening. we pride ourselves on, on, uh, diversity. So everything is, yeah. it can be any style imaginable, but yeah, we've done, we've done a few for, you know, most of the pharmaceutical. Wow. That's awesome. It sounds like fun. (laughs) It's great. Uh,
2: So to circle back to daredevil squadron, is that on Spotify, iTunes, all the normal places?
0: Yes. And, uh, and YouTube and you can, uh, you can see the videos for, um, the, the singles from the, of the new material. We've got one called, um, them we also have um one called back from the dead okay and um the first single we put out from the record is last resort okay cool very cool and uh so yeah you can look those up on on all the usual places and we'll we'll link them through today's show notes on uh, talkingrock.net and talkingmetal.com
2: and uh yeah so definitely visit the show notes to get all the info on daredevil squadron and angus clark And I guess uh, before we let you go, let's just talk about some of your favorite metal bands. You mentioned the new wave of British heavy metal. Is that your is that your favorite genre of heavy metal or is it more the sludge sabbathy stuff? What let's talk about some of your favorite metal bands.
0: Well, I, I kind of love everything Sabbath from the from the sludgy stuff through the Ronnie James Dio stuff. And, and even, ends there. even some of the Tony Martin stuff, right. I'm just, you know, in Dio rainbow is like, I'm, I'm a huge rainbow. Right. Now I actually played guitar for Joe Lynn Turner sure. on a few dates over the last two years. So oh, cool. Getting to play that material was like a huge right. high point for me. Yeah. Uh, that, and so, so it's kind of the, inter- and then pink, so pink Floyd were huge for me. So I was always yeah. kind of a strat guy. Yeah. Um, which was always, which was odd because I, I got the TSO gig audition playing a Strat. And then the very next question was, you know, are you okay to play a different kind of guitar?
2: Right. Oh, wow. oh. oh, that's funny. They didn't want the Strat, but uh, yeah, no, I'm a huge Pink Floyd fan. I saw, uh, man, one of the best shows I've seen in years. And I go to shows all the time was, uh, Roger Waters. Oh at yeah. Yeah. The prudential center it, probably about a year ago at this point i it, wow that blew my mind
0: we we went and saw the wall at yankee stadium oh okay so right. i saw it twice it was it was amazing yeah. yeah yeah so um so that so in the in the rock and metal genres it was like sabbath you know and, and and um and then anything Michael Schenker ever played on. So UFO and uh, the Michael Schenker group albums, like all that stuff was huge for me. Yeah. All of Rainbow stuff, Deep Purple to a lesser degree, actually. I was like, Rainbow was like my... Yes. my my music, like yeah. Rainbow On Stage, like that record, you know, right. just huge for me.
2: All eras of Rainbow, like, you know, you, I, I mean, it
0: was, it's all about the first record, Rising, right uh, Long Live Rock and Roll and On Stage, you know? Yeah. And then um since I played the dates with Joe Lynn Turner, you know, like I had to learn all the material I was less familiar with on the, on right. the later records. Surrender and, and yeah. yeah. and But that was, that was amazing because, I mean, Joe is still killing it. Yeah. Like Joe can still sing all that stuff right and and it was like you know you you get up there and you're playing and you know the funny thing about rainbow is you know like spotlight kid is like a reworking of kill the king. Right. And, you know, it's a, you know, Blackmore is kind of, you know, templates Reezes. the record yeah. and then, you know, so it's like, but then, you know, you're just standing there and like Joe opens his mouth and out comes the thing and you're like, it's electrifying. It's right. amazing. I, you like,
2: know, I've never seen Joe Lynn Turner live. I don't think I need to do that. Yeah. yeah.
0: And I had yeah. to learn the Ingve stuff for yeah. that too. And oh, so right, like, right. I mean, I always dabbled in it, but right. I hadn't, you know, a lot of this playing like, you know, was the stuff I was doing when I was, you know, 16, 17, 18. Yeah. Right. And, and I never gave up loving it. Like I always loved it, but it it wasn't like a pathway to, to making a living. Right. For, for extensive periods. So like when the TSO call came, you know, I had to get really? back in the woodshed, yeah, you know, yeah, and yeah. then the and Turner thing to get the Ingve thing back together, you know, yeah. at like 47, 48 where I am. Right. You know, that's yeah. like a whole other yeah, you know, ball of wax. Um, right. but you know, Glad that I can still the fingers can still yeah
2: do it. And was know? that tough? Was that a, like we you said back in the woodshed where you really having to sweat it out hours and hours a day learning that uh, stuff? That stuff isn't easy. At I don't least think it's me, healthy
0: cause... to spend hours and hours. That's right. where you get muscle problems. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just about daily. Right. It's just about building it back up right. and measuring yourself. You know, right. and and um, so so. Those, those, that was all huge for me. I mean, I went to see Michael Schenker Fest last year. Right. That was amazing. You know, uh, I remember seeing the UFO reunion tour when the limelight was still a thing. We yep. went and saw it there, right. you know, you know, lights out, lights out right. New York and right. went nuts. I yeah. mean, that was, that was cause I had never seen Shanker before. Wow. Like even, you know, and, and like as soon you're standing there in the room with somebody you listen to on record mm-hmm. from a young age right. and they play that first note and you're yeah. like, yeah, you know, like that's actually that sound that I've yeah. heard on records so like coming at me. Same thing with Joe opened his mouth on stage. It was like, Holy, right. sh- holy crap. That's, yeah. you know, um, and you know, the TSO brought some incredible opportunities. Like I loved Yes growing up, and we had John Anderson come and sing with us. Right. So I'm like playing Roundabout, right. with, a, with a nylon string on a Gracie stand. Yeah, you know, doing the whole Steve Howe thing, and then wow. and then there comes John's voice. Yeah, I was like, oh, yeah, you know, so right. so many opportunities. I'm so fortunate, and and it's all. I mean, it all comes back around to you know, playing with that prog metal band in, you know, 94 at the whiskey with eight people there. And I, you know, but I put in as good a show as I could ever, you know, like I'm, I'm playing on the sunset strip. I'm going to play, I'm going to, you know, play my ass off, and like that's what got the attention of that, you know, pr- manager for Kataro, and that's right, how right that right. phone call yeah. happened, and then the Marty thing. One thing leads just, to another. Yes, yeah, it's all yeah. you know.
2: Well, it's, it's all about
0: cycle of life for sure. <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, Angus, it's been great hanging with you here on today's episode of Talking Metal. And uh, guys, I'm going to come back and chat with you a little bit more, but we're going to wrap things up with Angus right now. What can we play for the Talking Metal listeners uh, to take us out of the interview here? Anything? It can be another track off the uh, Out of the Sun record by Daredevil Squadron, or something else. Whatever you want to
0: do. Well, I, I'll um, let's play one of the new tracks. One of the new tracks. Yeah, okay. we'll we'll put on Back from the Dead. All right, from the uh, from the new album. Cool.
2: And this uh, is available also on iTunes and Spotify. So go support it, download it, stream it, and uh, let everyone know about Daredevil Squadron featuring Angus Clark. Angus, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for taking some time out of your afternoon to come over to the house here and hang with me. Thanks, Mark. Little Daredevil Squadron here on Talking Metal, and right now we're going to get into the final interview with Rob Rivera of Nonpoint. Be sure to catch them out on the road soon, this May, with uh, Papa Roach, and yeah, man, there's some good stories in here of Vinnie Paul and all sorts of great stuff in, in this interview, and I really enjoyed talking with Rob, so please give it a listen. Right now, we will hear the song Chaos and Earthquakes by Nonpoint, followed by my interview with the drummer of Nonpoint, Rob. Black operations the money, colored
4: black, dark lands getting spun, so politically correct, watching everybody fight each other, sister
5: versus brother, peace versus war, rich against the poor, different versus different, bed versus the floor, wall versus the door, sure black, water black, money black, money back in green, back in season, swing full into one natural unnatural. Wanna decide which side you are gonna Don't know which evil side is upon us this time Mind your business, stay in line Find your calling, Enterprise your away off the Leave the things in a state This is maniacal, entire societies are falling with a net And they an them with no one taking them out The fire has gotten out of control We got no water, no buckets, and we're lucky if tomorrow comes Why is it important anymore? Sure, i like to know that need to know information But when I know it, what reactions will it cause When they finally show up dressed up, amped up in a black car which side? Which side? Do we draw? Don't know it. evil side is upon us. this time. Mind your business. Stay in line. Find your glory. Enterprise. Cut away all the red tape. Leave the things to state of chaos and earthquakes. Chaos and
2: Talking Metal. And on the line, we have Rob Rivera from Nonpoint calling in. Rob, how are you?
6: Good. How are you doing, sir?
2: I'm doing well, man. I'm excited because you guys are going to be heading out on tour with POD. And I wanted to just get the lowdown on that. When's the tour starting up?
6: It starts May 10th in Newport, Kentucky and goes all the way up to June 9th. And that ends in Pasadena, California.
2: And it's literally like a nationwide tour. I mean, you guys, I know are coming out this way, I think to the Starland ballroom in New Jersey. I saw you're going to be in my wife's hometown of Fort Wayne, Indiana. So you're going to be really going just about everywhere. Is it Canada too?
6: There is no Canada, which I'm bummed out. Uh, This is actually the second tour we've done with POD. Uh, The first one we did last year in November and December. And that one was West coast to East coast. And this one is pretty much the same thing. you know. It starts east and, uh, well, kind of central east and west. But we had a great time the first time. And by the end of that tour, we had talked, the very last date of the tour, we talked about it, let's do this again. And then,
4: yeah, then
6: us do it again. And we are bringing out Islander with us. We added Nine Shrines, who's old friends of ours. Uh, they're a band from Cleveland, Ohio. And then Harold the Hero is going to play on like six of the shows.
2: Wow! So it's it's really uh, I mean it's almost like a mini festival heading out on the road here. You got uh, four bands, sometimes five bands. What time does the show start? Is it like an afternoon thing, or is it in the evening?
6: No, I, you know what? I know at least in Chicago, doors open at five. Right. So I mean, I'm not sure exactly how it pertains to every city. I'm sure every day is going to be different. Uh, it's been a while since we've been on a bill it's like five bands, uh, but sometimes when we do the four band bills, the promoter will add a local, and and it, it is cool. I mean, I, I understand being a local band and being able to play for a national. Sometimes you know these shows they run a little too late, and you know I prefer the three band bills myself. You right. Know? Right. Like if when we headline, I'd rather do like a three band bill than that. Bit. But um, it's going to be exciting. I mean, the days that there are the five bands, I mean, I really strongly recommend to everybody get there and watch every one of these bands because every single band is going to put on a show. Right on. You know, it's going to be, it's probably the highest energy bill that we have ever been a part of. And I'm super excited. It's going to be really cool to play with Hyro. getting to know him, a new friend of the band. He actually came out on stage with us and shipped and And we have toured with Nine Shrines and Islanders before, and those guys are fun. And P.O.D. are just like these long-lost brothers of ours that after all these years of being in the scene, we finally did a tour together. And I'm like, why didn't we never tour before? I just don't understand why it never happened before when they had, you know, like a live and youth of the nation at radio. And then we've been around just as long, you know, and <clears throat> just wondering why it would never, ha- it never happen. And and finally uh, we had planned it one time and it felt free, which we were bummed out. Then we finally did it. And the shows were so successful because honestly, it's, it's all about the package that you put out. I think people don't want to see a tour that is just like the main headliner and then three other bands. You no, know, they want to see a really cool. I think 9.0. PODs an awesome one-two punch. You know, like we've been established for a long time, now. we have three up-and-comers who bring that old-school energy. And it's going to be a fun tour, I and mean, I'm excited. The only thing is going to bum me out is when the tour ends. But you right know, on, we I've been right talking on. to continue the tour together. You no, know, we've been talking about continue the tour together. So we'll see. See what happens.
2: So. I was going to ask you, so you know the the connection that you've had with Pod. I mean, you did this tour last year with them, and you're doing this tour coming up in May, starting in May. But was there a history with the band before then? Did you guys know each other back in the day? Personally?
6: We never really crossed paths. I don't know how that was. I finish and I know we played one show. I believe it was in Augusta, Georgia, one place. We played a show together and we hung out with Sonny after the show. And, and you know, it's, it was a good vibe, you know, and, uh, as far as friend, being friends, like we are now, absolutely not, not because we didn't want to, it's just, we never crossed the path, which is like, it was mind blowing to me that it never happened. We were basically in the same scene. We knew all the same bands. We toured with the same bands, but never toured with each other, right on. which was very, it was just like, we just, I didn't understand. And then when we finally toured together and, and saw, and you know, Marcos who comes to our bus every night, the guitar player, he hangs out with us. We hang out with him in the dressing room. It's like a real, it's like a family vibe. Uh, we haven't had that type of family vibe since maybe Seven to Us and Hell Yeah and Disturbed. These are all these bands that, you know, that we have toured with. And all that remains is that we have a strong connection and bond with. And then POD just fit right in. I said, like, man, how cool is this that? we able to hang out with these cats and, you know, it's just, it was no vibe, no drama, no rock star stuff, no diva stuff. It was just bands out there working for a living, having fun, playing music. You know, we're all in the same boat. They're all with the same purpose. And it was just so cool to be able to, to do that. And now we're going to do it again. I can't be, I mean, I'm excited. We've been talking about possibly doing Europe together. And I was super stoked for that because they definitely they have a massive following over there. So this was great. I mean, it's really, this whole business is really about the relationships that you develop and you grow. Right. And right. those relationships will stay there forever. You know, they will always stay there forever. And so, so I'm excited. I'm excited that they asked us out again. does it work the first time people were coming out. People were leaving like, wow, we just saw a, a, a bombastic show, you know, like, so I'm hoping that people leave again with the same feeling and just keep the good vibes, you know?
2: Absolutely. And Nonpoint, of course, has a rather new record out. I mean, when when did X come out? August, I think, late last year? August
6: 24th of last year. So basically, it's still not, still long, it's over six months, almost right. seven months, maybe. And had a single, Chaos and Earthquakes, uh, went to radio, did a video with that. And right. we have a it. new single coming out, which... Uh, which we're waiting to do the video for and stuff and but uh um yeah it's been it's been received uh amazing by our fans by press and it's been the uh reviews we have gotten in a few years you know we really focused ourselves on the album we took the proper time off and really worked on the record and had an incredible producer and um he made this thing sound great you know and, and we're having a blast playing these songs live and just amazing that i you know still with 10 records we can still make some kind of an impact you know so yeah pretty cool i'm mean, definitely excited
2: and when you say some kind of impact i mean it was a pretty major impact you guys were i think number 13 at one point on the billboard digital album sales when the record came out i mean that's really amazing considering you guys have been together well decades at this point um could you ever imagine you know 22 20, years 22 years later you'd be literally almost in the top 10 with this record
6: well, to be honest, dude, after when we released our first album, in my mind and in my heart, I felt okay. Nonpoint maybe has three records. Right, that was my right. my thought process at the time. If you would have told me in two thousand that I would be talking to you in two thousand nineteen about my tenth album, I would have told you you're nuts. And and the fact that when we released it. You know, when we did this record, we had no idea how people were going to react. You know, you, you know, it's like you, you try to outdo everything that you do. And it's just hard sometimes, man. When you, And we've released close to 250 songs, you know, in our career. Wow. And, and it's just, obviously not every single song is going to, not, not everyone, not everybody's going to like everything you do. You know, it's that's just virtually impossible. There's not one band out there that a fan say, I like every single song I ever put out. You know, right, it's just, right. it's just impossible. You just do, try to do the best you can. So when we were doing this record that I, we started feeling like there was a real old school energy about it, especially Elias, where he was coming with all these rapid fire, just spitting fire type vocals. And then his, he, like, there was a lot more aggression. Uh, people have said it's like one of the heaviest records we've done. And I, I don't know what their perception of heavy is, but I'll take it, whatever, whatever positive thing people can take out of the album, I'm completely fine with it, you know. And and it's just been a very cool ride, like all these people talking so positively, you know. After the last couple of records, they talk positive, but not as positive as this one. Yeah, it's a you great. Know, this one has made like a huge impact, like kind of like our album to the pain did in 2006. Right. So we're talking about you know almost six out like five albums since then or six albums since then. Uh, and able to make an impact in our 10th record. And, and like, I, I googled, you know, 9.x reviews, and it's like I read a pretty, like 90% of them positive. It's like, wow, we really did something here. And and the thing is, I, I really treated that for taking the proper time off, taking a social media break, not letting anybody know what we were doing. We got together three times in the studio to write and do pre-production we didn't take any pictures we didn't post anything about it we're kind of like okay we don't want to let nobody know what we're doing i don't want people have any expectations and then when we dropped we did a facebook live from the studio uh you know we did a couple hints while we were there took a picture of the board you know something like a microphone or something you know and and then once we did a Facebook Live of one of the new songs, people were like, holy shit, what's going on? But thought you guys were on hiatus. And all of a sudden, they hear this new song, which was Dodger Destiny is what we played on. Uh, on this one of the heaviest, probably one of the heaviest and most aggressive songs that we've ever written in our career. You'd think, you know, as you get older, you get you get more you know, your mood Softer gets a little lighter, but no, we've gotten more pissed off. Our music has gotten more aggressive and more pissed off. And we're like, it's almost like, you know, a very like teen angst, even though none of, I'm 49 years old I'm hearing, you know, here I have to say we got teen angst, you know, but, yeah. but you know, there was a certain energy and people were really flipping out over this. Like, Holy shit, this is so fast and heavy. And, but you know what, dude? We had a lot of fun doing it, and and I went. I was. It was just a very. It was a special time for us as a band. Like, oh, we, 10 records with a different lineup, not the lineup that's into *To the Pain*. It's a completely different lineup, except for me and Elias. And um, to be able to do that with your 10th album without your original lineup was the lineup that you were introduced to the world to that's pretty special. You know, I think it's a, you know, we have some really terrific players and we were able to capture something very special with those guys and uh, that fit nicely in our catalog.
2: You know, I agree with you 100%. And, and the one thing that's really incredible is the relationship that you've had, the working relationship, at least with Elias. I mean, you guys are the guys who were there since the beginning. You're still there. You never left. Um, what makes that relationship, working relationship, so strong? You know, it's interesting. I talk to some guys that are like, "Well, you know, it's because we don't hang out all the time when we're when we're not doing the music." And then there's other guys that's like, that are like, "Oh, it's because we are best friends and we hang out all the time." What about you two? What what's your relationship like?
6: My relationship with Elias, I mean, we go back obviously twenty two years. And Elias was my roommate for like 12 of those years. We lived together. We actually lived together. We worked at the same place and we rehearsed at night. So I was with that guy more than anybody in my life. And the reason, and the thing is, I mean, he I live in Chicago. He lives in Florida. You know, so right. we don't hang out together off the road. But we, we text a lot. We're constantly texting business. But the thing is, is we have the same goals. We're very, nonpoint is the most important thing in our lives outside of our families that we both, knew. he's got a daughter and I got two kids. And, but when it comes to nonpoint, and we're different people. Me and Elias are very different people. I'm more the metal dude. He's more yeah. the hip hop guy. Right. He's into music I don't like. I'm into music he doesn't like. But when it comes to the business of nonpoint, then we're there 100%. There's no decision that gets made without me and him knowing about it. You know, we, we, you know, everybody gets an equal vote with everything. When it comes to touring, we let it, you know, even though nobody has been here since the beginning, I think we're very respectful in the band members. Hey, what's your opinion? It's not like, it's not like, Hey, it's what we say. And that's it. That's not how it works here. You know, we, we're all adults here. Everybody knows what we need to do, what's good and what's not. But I want to give everybody the freedom to speak up as well. But when it comes to me and Elias' work ethic, I mean, we are... We're like twin brothers when it comes right to on. It. Right we on. We work our we work our asses off, and Elias will tell me his opinion and we'll tell him mine. We bring those ideas off of each other all the time. But a lot of the, the... You know, a lot of... When it comes to the business of the band, people always look at us. When it comes to the face of the band, people always look at us because we've been here the longest. But, you know, like BC, I mean, my guitar player, he's a fantastic guitar player. He plays a big role in songwriting. And so does the the other two guys. Like my bass player plays a big role. He builds things. You know, he helps in that area. Another guitar player, he writes a lot. So, you know, everybody gets equal say in a lot in pretty much everything. You know, but cool. but me and Elias have been able to build that. We try to bring that work work ethic and kind of transfer it to the people that we're with. Like this is what needs to be done, you know, to survive. And you know, and I think that work ethic has really played a huge role in us being a band for 22 years. Absolutely. You know, I don't know many bands from the era when we started or are even together anymore. Very few. Right. It's true. And, and and I look at the Oscars 2001 has the the example, how many of those bands are still around, you know, yeah. from the Oscars that we were on. And, right. and, and a lot of bands are broken up, and it's sad, a lot of great bands, but honestly, we love what we do. We have made a pact with each other. We're basically going to do this for the rest of our natural war lives. It may be a little bit slower because we're getting older, but we're still going to be in the business of non boys somehow. Cool. So it's—I I, mean—he is an incredible partner, an incredible bandmate, one of my best friends. I love the guy to death, and I think you know our work ethic has brought us this far, and we're just gonna continue doing what we do.
2: Yeah, awesome, awesome, cool. And I wanted to ask you kind of a random question, but you—you know—Nonpoint has done some gigs and touring with. Hell yeah! And of course, that featured a, a fellow drummer, the late great Vinny Paul. How how well did you get to know yeah. Vinny through the years?
6: Vinny was a really big fan of Nonpoint, and uh, he was very always kind to us. When we went out with Hell yeah, I want to say two thousand twelve. Um, there was um, oh, no, sorry, the first tour we did was two thousand eight. It was Hell yeah, Machine Head, Nonpoint, and Barrier Dead. And uh we were like he was just so cool and uh just always welcoming. He cooked every night pretty much for the bands. He brought a grill on the road and he cooked every night out, wow. out of his own on his own on out of his own pocket. You know, he didn't ask for no money. He did it every night. He, he would give money, hey, go get all this food and he cooked for all the bands on the door. It was insane. It's awesome. The generosity of that man. His generosity was above and beyond anything I've ever seen in my life. And I every mean, day, hey Rob, want a shot? I have a shot with me, and, and I was going. I'm not a big drinker, but I was going to have a shot with I was fucking Benny Paul. I'm not going to say no to Benny Paul. Right, to right. Have a shot with one of the one of my biggest influences, one of the best drummers ever coming metal. I'm not going to say no to that guy, you know. And 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 he would. And he actually came up. Said, "Why y'all ain't playing in the air tonight?" That's why I love that song. So wow. we started playing in the air tonight just because he at asked for, we were not playing, I thought we had to keep everything heavy, you know, we played with a team head and bring dead, and hell yeah, bring out the heavy, heavy hitters, you know, we didn't even play what a day on the tour, and then Rock Flynn came up to why aren't you playing what a day? <laughs> like,
4: right,
6: right. But, but uh, uh, yeah, and then the, the, we did another tour with them, and with all that remains, hell yeah, and us, and that was awesome, and then anytime we went through Dallas and Vegas, and he was the town, he always, always came to our shows it didn't matter if where he was he never missed an point show if he was in town that guy loved lived and breathed metal and rock music you know he was just an inspiration and that the the only unfortunate thing is he came to our show in vegas and five days later he passed away right and we me and elias were talking we're talking to him we went out to the crowd to talk to him and we even were even talking about possibly doing some shows together again. I was like, oh, man, it's so exciting. And five days later, he was taken from us. And, wow. you know, and that was wow. very heartbreaking. Like, I woke up my wife in the middle, and I said, Vinnie Paul just died. You know, it's like that was so hard to even grasp that that had actually happened. You know, and not only we lost his brother, now we're losing two of the most iconic people, and music that was so sad and, and and i'm very happy that hell yeah we're able to finish the record and and the song they released is super amazing and and uh and, you know we got to talk to chad gray a little bit uh, on shiprock he actually came on stage right right with us we were the first man he had ever stepped on stage on since then he's passing and uh he just came up there and just lost his mind it was such a beautiful thing to see you know like it was awesome, and he actually sang with uh, the Stowaways. He sang. Uh, he did "Corn uh, Blind" with okay. head playing guitar. So and and it was really cool, man. Vinny Paul was just a, a super beautiful human being with a he, he. had the heart the size of Texas. Wow! Wow! And, yeah! And, it's good. and I, there's not many people that are like that in this world, unfortunately.
2: Absolutely great! Thanks for sharing those stories. It's awesome, and you know, you mentioned Chad. Uh, you have quite a history with him, and of course he was involved in your Miracle album, which I think you guys, from what I re- I'm reading, you started recording that about 10 years ago, right around now. How, how does, how does uh, the 10-year gap uh, from, from when you first started working on that album uh, feel and, and look, uh, how does it make you look back on that record 10 years later?
6: It was an interesting record. I mean, uh, I think the beautiful part of working with Chad is he was... My favorite part of working with Chad is he gave me a lot of drum ideas, which I was very shocked because he's a singer, he's not a drummer, you know, and he was very... He's got... He is a very talented man and he gave me a lot of stuff to work with and I did everything he told me. I didn't I didn't deny any idea because they were all amazing. (laughs) None of them sucked. Everything was good, you know, and he co-wrote. He sang on the song Miracle. He sang the chorus and he sings the bridge. And he was very instrumental in helping shaping the songs together. And I didn't even realize it was 10 years because we, I think we recorded that record in 2009. Yeah, yeah, this May, yeah, in about two weeks or three weeks, I think it's going to be like 10 years old. Wow. That's crazy. Um and uh we have ownership of that record too, we might be able to remix that album release it Oh really? Wow. But uh yeah, so I think it's uh you know, Chad is he's been a very good friend and I saw him in Vegas uh when we were there with POD and gave him the biggest hug and I just I told him I loved him and you know, it's he's just he's been a huge supporter of Nonpoint. point. I mean were our We were on their mud Bains, uh very first headlining tour and moving ultra spank and, and that was like so cool he's been just such a good friend since then you know he's given us a few mud Bain tours a few hell i yeah tours I'm thankful uh without that i mean mud Bain was very instrumental in helping our career so like as far as playing to people and exposing ourselves to the new crowds and I'm forever thankful for Chad Drake. and if you're listening, I love you,
2: brother. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Hey, and we'll uh, we'll wind it down with uh, with one kind of big question. I guess you you had a tweet out the other day. It said, I think it said something like the music industry is about change and sacrifice. And I thought, wow that that's a that's a pretty heavy statement. And and I just wanted to maybe follow up on that tweet a little bit. What what are some of the biggest changes that you've, you've witnessed in the music industry these past 22 years, and maybe what are some, some of the biggest sacrifices uh, that you've personally had to make?
6: Well, well, I mean, changes, I mean, you have to, you know, there's a possibility that you're going to change managers. We have five, six times. There's a possibility you're going to change record labels. You've done seven labels. There's a possibility you're going to change band members. you have had three lineup changes we've started and there's a possibility that genres are going to shift how many genres have come and gone in the last 22 years right. you know like the possibility that you're going to get fucked over you definitely have gotten fucked over it's a possibility people are going to steal from you you've been stolen from and you have to endure all that we've endured all that to stay here and the sacrifices you you're going to sacrifice friendships you're going know, to sacrifice leaving your family at home. You're going know, to sacrifice every single fucking holiday out there. Birthdays, anniversaries. I've sacrificed them all. I've missed my kids' birthdays. I've missed my anniversaries. I've missed my wife's birthday. I've missed Thanksgiving. The only thing I've never missed is Christmas. Because right. we re- we, from the beginning, we said, There's no fucking way we're not going to be. We're going to be on the road in Christmas. So from the beginning, that was the thing. But we sacrificed. We sacrificed our apartment. Me and Elias, I moved in with my girlfriend I had at the time. Elias moved back in with his parents. We just let the apartment go because we were going to be living on the road. We lived on the road for 18 months straight almost on the first record. So you sacrifice a lot. You sacrifice your mental health. Because there's so much stuff that happens. It's so much to take in, you know. Your life, when you're doing your everyday, when we're doing our life at home, and we're dreaming about this. And when we got that first record deal, I mean, you're, our life shifted a huge. And, but we embraced it. And we were warriors through the whole thing. Like, I have to really give it to Elias to keep his head strong. The 22 years that we've been here, you know, and other members, you know, our first lineup, or guitar player, just got tired of touring. And I understood it. And our, after 10 years, he was out. And after 13 years, our original bass player was out. You know, and we've been able to find a group of guys that definitely want it. But you know, like I said, it's a huge sacrifice. Not everybody has families. My, my bass player is about to be a father here in two months. My guitar player has a kid. I have two kids. Elijah has a kid my other guitar player is in a committed relationship, you know, so there's a lot of stuff that you sacrifice, you know, when I go on tour, at least my wife here, I wanted to deal with the kids and school and all that stuff, you know, so but it's what we sign up for, you know, this is part of the job you have to tour on a record you can't just release a record and stay at home you have to tour on your own, and that's part of the right. sacrifice, you know we, we, have to, we have to endure the change and we endure the sacrifice, and I think a lot of musicians have related to that tweet
2: yeah absolutely absolutely I, I mean i think it's it's just life in general too it's it's more than just the music business it's uh you know every, we all oh, experience. yeah i mean
6: there's people that travel for work yeah you know there, there's people that work that work hours and hours and come home late and, and only maybe see 45 minutes of the killer my sister-in-law perfect example like she sees her daughter maybe like an hour a day that's huge for a mother you know, so that's why on the weekends, she soaks it all in with her kid. You know, and it's just—it's not just in the music industry; it's pretty much in everything. But the music industry—that's one of two of the biggest things you have to—you have to remember. Right,
2: right on. Hey, Rob, I know you're a big vinyl guy, or at least I think you are, from what I've been seeing on social media. You've you picked I up any? I definitely
6: am. I definitely am. Yes.
2: <laughs> what what cool stuff have you picked up on vinyl recently that you could tell us about?
6: Uh. Nothing recent. I mean, I have a lot of Metallica original pressings, and um, I have at least over eight hundred records right now. Wow, and that's that is a lot. That's a lot. <laughs> but I've been blessed that a lot of people in our fan base have given me albums for free, which is amazing. Like I've had some people give me their collection just because they don't listen to it, but they know how much I love it. And that and that's another thing, tying into the sacrifice part. Our fans. Realize how much we sacrifice by leaving our families, and this is just amazing. We have never asked for anything or enough you know. And they bring us like home cooked meals or bring us gifts, and people bring us. And I said, why are you giving this to us? Is that like, you guys do so much for us by releasing this music, leaving your families behind to do what you love, and this is our our token of our appreciation. That's that's huge to me, that people would actually do that and. That just goes to, that the sacrifice pays off. Not only are we touching our fans, but they're also helping you. You know, we touch them and they help you back. It's, it's I guess like a whole big, big family between our fans and ourselves. We have such a great relationship with our fans. And uh, they see the sacrifice and they reward you with like home-cooked meals or bring you cookies or brownies. It's or awesome. They know you're into something. They know you're into something. Like, Elias was at a period where he liked a lot of, like, socks with, like, characters on them. There were people bringing him socks left and right. He didn't even ask for them. Like, our baseball, base the space favorite movie was A Nightmare Before Christmas. And pretty much every day, he'd get some kind of toy or something related to the movie just because they knew he was into the stuff. Our fans have been, I mean, I can't thank like I've said for years, without them, there would be no non Those people are the lifeblood of this band. And I'm forever grateful and thankful that that is been beyond more important to me to have that relationship than any gold album, that top 10 hit could ever offer to me. Wow. I'm just thankful that we've been able to make a connection with people, you know, and so our music has helped people during their most crucial times. And they, they give us, they give back to us. It's just crazy. You know, I'm just, I'm just a blessed and thankful guy. I've been able to call this a career, but without my fans, I would not be able to do it.
2: Right, right. Wow, Rob. Well, I think that's a perfect place to end it because at the end of the uh, the end of the day, it's all about the relationship that Nonpoint has with their fans, and it is a strong relationship for sure. And we will be seeing you out on the road with Pod starting starting soon, man. And this this tour goes everywhere, guys. So be sure to. Go online, check out the tour dates, and check out the show when it comes to your town. And, Rob, thank you so much for
6: your yeah, time. Yeah, point yeah. You're wonderful, man. I saw 940.com's got all the tour dates. Thank you. Steve, you too. has got two awesome VIPs. And I'll do a little starting my own podcast. Oh, nice. nice. It's, called the Robcast, uh, yeah, it's called the Robcast Podcast. It's going to date you, hopefully, this weekend. Cool,
2: cool. What will you be doing, interviews and stuff, or just talking? Like, what's the, what's uh, the format?
6: Be, uh, basically, it basically, I mean, right now it's just me and my partner, who is the engineer of the last two records. We're recording everything at his studio. And uh, basically, we're going to be teaching about the ups and downs of the recording industry, of the, of the music industry, the touring. We're going to have guests. We're going to have a uh, pencil and a couple people to bring it basically the the whole show is about knowledge about learning how to survive in a streaming world learning how to survive in a touring world what to look for in a manager context what what to you know what just making young people and fans of young young bands like young bands and fans know what it is that you have to do to survive out there and to make sure that you know, our you know, we have between the both of us we have forty years of experience and I'm gonna bring people with an insane amount of knowledge. I'm gonna it's not gonna be just musicians, it's gonna be promoters, uh, radio DJs, uh agents. I'm gonna bring out I want people to learn the whole thing. Not just one thing, learn everything
2: cool man well we will be subscribing to it on itunes and we'll keep an eye out for that and again thank you for your time great have a great time on the tour good luck with it and we will see you out in the road
6: thank you so much for, for your time and thank you for wanting me to come on the show i appreciate
2: it thanks a lot rob
1: before my friend, but I don't know if you know who I am.
2: In the air tonight by Nonpoint. Thank you for joining us, guys. Another way you can support Talking Metal is by using our Amazon links on TalkingRock.net or TalkingMetal.com. You can throw me a PayPal donation, uh, or you can join us on Patreon. Patreon. All the all the uh, ways to support Talking Metal are, of course, on the uh, the website. You go to the website, which is TalkingRock.net. And you click on the support tab and it gives you all the different ways you can support us. And yeah, even, you know, if you can't, if you can't throw any money at us through Patreon or PayPal, I do suggest uh, buying, well, you have no money. I do, (laughs) I do suggest buying other things that you need by using our Amazon links. And that works for people in the UK, the US and Canada. And uh, if you want, I got Talking Metal sweatshirts. They're 60 bucks. Let me know. Uh, I got uh, Talking Metal t-shirts. They're 20 bucks. Let me know. Just hit me up at mark at talkingmetal.com. And uh, the PayPal actually is connected to my other email. I know it's kind of confusing, which is Mark S-T-R-I-G-L-M-A-R-K at gmail.com. And that's what you use. You know, if you want to buy a t-shirt, just send it as a donation, 20 bucks for a t-shirt or, you know, a gift, I guess, 60 bucks for a sweatshirt. If you're with me on Patreon, uh, talk to me. Maybe we can cut a deal um, with, the, uh, with the sweatshirt. You guys uh, might get a discount. I'm thinking of doing, doing it that way for the patrons. And that'll do it, guys. Again, all the best to you and your family and your loved one and your friends. I am uh, lifting my first drink of the day right now. A little Guinness here on uh, Talking Metal Somebody told me I shouldn't drink Guinness because I guess they, uh, they were at odds with certain things and uh, with the political system in Ireland or something. I don't know. Fuck. I'm just going to drink it. I don't give a shit. Here we go. All right, guys. See you next time on Talking Metal.